You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hello, welcome to the show. Thursday, November the 2nd, coming to you once again from Santa Anita Park in California, and plenty of build-up to the Breeders' Cup during the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so. But today... We are going to check in, first of all, back home in the UK and assess the political situation with regard to the gambling review, the Gambling Commission affordability checks and where the land lies as uh, the prospect of these intrusive checks draws ever closer. Uh, Lydia Hislop has been across a number of aspects of this story and she'll be along very shortly to, to analyse them. We'll start, however, by hearing from Abby McGregor from the Gamblers Consumer Forum and a proposal that they have put forward as an alternative to affordability checks in order to tackle gambling-related harm. This is what she had to say to me. So a few months ago, uh, the Gams Consumer Forum designed a proposal for an app which we call BetterHelp. And this app will guide those who are struggling with their gambling towards clinical treatment, which, as we've said many times over, is really the real and only solution to not just gambling addiction, but to any addiction. The idea that you might be able to regulate addiction out of existence via affordability checks, we believe is a completely impossible goal. It's not backed by any evidence at all, but there are other apps out there for other addictions, such as alcohol addiction. There's a drink aware app that's being used to promote clinical treatment to a recognition of addiction in your loved ones, your family members, and even yourself. So we know that things like these apps work, these initiatives work. So we then decided that we would do some polling on the app to kind of gauge the attitude of the general public in terms of the app and what they thought about the black market as well. So we asked YouGov to do a poll of the UK public. And what that poll found was really rather exciting for us. Um, because it found that 68% of those who surveyed found that they would support this gambling app. They would support an app that would guide those who were struggling with gambling towards clinical treatment. In addition to that, 54% of 18 to 24-year-olds, which is the group that the government defined as being most vulnerable to gambling harm, they thought that this app would be an effective method in tackling issues with gambling harm. So we've got very, very positive support for the app. In addition to that, we also found that 53% of the UK public believe that the implementation of affordability checks will risk an increase in black market activity. So there's a very, very clear picture that's being painted here. There is support for an alternative to affordability checks, but there is also a massive risk that comes with affordability checks that not just gamblers have identified, but the general public have identified. I'm interested in the people who were polled. Is this an entirely random selection of the public? How did how did YouGov execute the polling here? Just break it down a bit for me. So this was a survey of. I think it's 2,134 adults, I think is the exact number, but it is at least 2,000. It's a very kind of standardized method by which they do all of their surveys. And then those samples were then weighted and are now representative of all adults in the UK. Is there a particular trend in terms of 
age and response? So we found that younger people are obviously more in favour of, of an app as, as we would as we would expect um, because obviously there are kind of technological barriers there but that in itself has prompted us to think that perhaps in addition to an app we could build a, a website that accompanies it so that it could be accessible to anyone who was uh, struggling with, with gambling harm because what the polling shows, however you sort of break it down, is that the overwhelming majority of the public 68% back this app and they think that it will help those who need help with their gambling addiction or or their gambling issues so that's the really important point to take away here and that's why the gambling commission have to take this seriously this is a valid and independent confirmation of what the public think and so they cannot continue to persist along a route where there is little evidence that affordability checks will help addicts, where there's public support for an alternative idea, but moreover, that the public believe that affordability checks will actually cause a rise in black market activity, which we knew all along, of course, that's what the racing industry has been saying for a very long time. But to have that independent confirmation that that's what the UK-wide opinion is, I think is very, very important. And it's something that the Gambling Commission simply cannot ignore. All right, that was Abby McGregor. Um, Lydia is with me today, uh, and you've been across the way that this story's been developing during the course of the week. Quite an interesting turn, this, Lydia. Do you think it'll have the required impact? Well, there's a steady uh, incremental effect, I think, of people making points that are being taken, or it would seem, increasingly seriously by the likes of Stuart Andrew, who is the MP with... Uh, the brief that covers gambling and horse racing in Britain, but also by Prime Minister Rishi Rishi Sunak. And there are uh, several uh, things that have happened. Uh, Nick Rust has made a speech at the Reputation Matters conference at London last week, and he's the former um, chief executive of the British Horse Racing Authority. Um, There's also been a a Westminster Hall debate in Parliament entitled The Future of Horse Racing. That took place last week, in which there have been a number of interventions. Um, And Stuart Andrew has also spoken um, in which he called himself the darling of the racing post and he has spoken about about the, the various uh, concerns that have been raised to him that he says he's listening to in terms of the gamblers consumer forum um the it, the, the point that they're making which is the one that i think i agree with and uh, most people i think agree with who know anything about the subject which is that the uh, proposed affordability checks uh, and the, the the proposed legislation to tackle um, what a problem gambling will not actually help problem gamblers, will inconvenience regular bettors on horse racing and will have and is already having an impact on the levy generated that helps racing survive in Britain. So what cut through is this all having at the moment, this cumulative noise. What has the gambling minister, Stuart Andrew, said, Lydia? Um, He said, the point about being frictionless is essential. I reiterate my commitment that the proposed checks will not be mandated across the sector until we are confident that they are frictionless for the vast majority of customers who will be caught by them. Um, He made it clear that it was important that the wider public had its say 
in the Gambling Commission's recently closed consultation on affordability checks, and was in, he was encouraged that they'd received so many responses. The consultation, he said, was on all aspects and all details, including the levels at which those checks will come in and how we consider the previous winnings. He also raised the possibility that checks that operators put in place in anticipation of the white paper, and which, as I mentioned, have been already blamed by racing for the loss of tens of millions of pounds of revenue, would be revisited. It's interesting, this Lydia, isn't it? Because what's going to happen in theory and what is actually happening in practice, not necessarily being fully understood, you feel, by the Gambling Commission and by, by Andrew Rhodes what is actually happening on the ground seems to uh, move around into different sort of subject areas uh, depending on who is looking at them and the point is that I, I think from Andrew Rhodes's perspective from what he said to you I think it was on Luck on Sunday many many months ago is that he s sees a validity in those kind of intrusive checks in terms of um, bookmakers being able to decide who they do business with and is does this confusingly overlap with affordability checks in his mind to the from the punter's perspective these all come under under the same heading the point is that 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 intrusive checks are happening now and we need to understand why they are happening and whether the gambling commission is actually on the side of gamblers as well as its well-intentioned concerns about people who have problems with gambling Lydia, for the moment, thank you. And we'll be back to the UK in a few moments' time as we uh, bid farewell to the clerk of the course and director of racing at Newmarket Racecourses, uh, Michael Prosser. You'll be hearing from him shortly. But first of all, back here at Santa Anita, I'd like to introduce you to a man who, I don't think he'll mind me telling you, um, is just three weeks shy of his 84th birthday. He is one of Canada's most successful trainers, uh, but his pedigree is very much closer to home, or the homes of most of you who are listening to this podcast. Uh, he's Roger Atfield. He has trained a Breeders' Cup winner already back in 2011. And the son of that Breeders' Cup winner is here this time in the Breeders' Cup mile. And he was second in the race last year. His name is Shirls Spite. But I started off by asking Roger to tell you a little bit more about his story and where it all began. Yes, I'm English. I came um, from just outside of Newbury, a little village called Cold Ash, and I rode um, ponies for um, a farmer in Kingsclear, just behind Park House, uh, from when I was very young, and I continued on from there. I rode the jumping ponies, and I graduated to the, the, uh, the circuit horses, and uh, started to ride a little bit of steeplechasing, and... Um, Spent a lot of time around Kingsford. So, a, a proper horseman of, of many generations, as I, as I was saying. What what brought you across the across the water? Well, just personal problems with a divorce, actually, and um, I decided I just wanted to get away for a while, and I uh, didn't really know where I wanted to go to, but I only knew one person anywhere else in the world. That was in Canada, so I finished up in Canada. Really? Yeah. And who was the person you knew in Canada? Um, a guy called Ian Black, uh -huh. and his father was um, actually, I think he hunted hounds for quite a while in the South Parks country. I knew the family very, very well. So that's what took you over to, to train in, in Canada. And, and how did you get established? How did you get a license and get going? 
Well, I actually came over to ride the jumpers, and um, I'd only spent about two months with the, with the stable there. You know, at that particular point in time, you could emigrate with just a letter from somebody giving you employment and uh, pass a medical, and you, you emigrated, you know. So, so when you, was this? Well, when, when would this have been? 19... 1970. 1970. Yeah, and uh, I was 30 years of age, and um, I'm very light. <laughs> 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 and uh, so anyway, I came over to do that, and I wasn't very happy with the with the situation and the, the circuit and what have you and um, I met uh, Frank Stronach um, who had just a little 25 acre farm that was actually called Beechwood Farm and uh, Ian Black uh, was managing that little farm and I met Frank one morning he said they were sure to help at the track and I went down to help him out that was a big culture shock to me going to the to a barn area in March in uh, Canada um, the racing scene was totally, totally different. And um, I spent a little bit of time with him and then I finished up actually going to Montreal with five or six of his horses. We only had five or six horses at that time, Frank. And, um, and uh, I thought, well, I can't keep riding forever, you know, like show jumping wise. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll give it a crack training these flat horses. And I've, and you know, at that time, I could still gallop them myself and reason them myself and whatever that have you. But uh, that's how it all started. And the rest is history. And it's been right. pretty much a, a lifetime of, of success of, ever since. Yeah, <laughs> stupidity, right? <laughs> well, it's not stupidity. Did you ever, ever think of going home or not? Um, yeah, I did after the first year. Um, had I not promised myself that I was going to be three years. Um, no matter how bad it was, wherever I went, I, I promised myself I was going to give it three years, and I knew I could always go back. And I had some, you know, owners there that were still been with me, you know. So, um, uh, but after the first year, I definitely would have done yes. Yeah. And, and still, still going strong, still training good horses. And now here you are at Breeders' Cup with uh, Shell Spite, who was second last year in the in the Breeders' Cup mile. Great run in Dubai. Do you come here with? With hope, with optimism, with confidence. Yeah, I come here with a lot of hope. Well, obviously, you've got to live, you can live with hope, but um, I'm I'm very confident in the horse if he gets a good trip. You know, I mean, uh, I, I was saying, I, you know, before the draw, I really don't want to draw to the outside, and then I get the one <laughs> hole. So that was my punishment there. But I'm not so sure it's a punishment anyway. Um, and uh, you know, Johnny. Johnny knows, you know, I mean, he got in a little bit of trouble on him at, at the Woodbine Mile, thanks to maybe Buick, actually, but anyway, um, he, um, you know, Johnny's ridden for me over the years, and he's, he won the Breeders' Cup for me here on this horse's mother, actually, um, in Churchill, that was, but Johnny's ridden a lot of stake horses for me over the years, and I have great confidence in him, and, um, and, uh, so I think if we get a good trip, I think you'll be a dangerous horse. It's, it's there in the pedigree, and uh, you've got the best rider in the race, or most successful rider in this race aboard as well. Uh, and there could just be a ton of pace on as well, which is going to suit you. Now, you have a secret weapon, Roger, and she's sitting next to you. Um, tell me about Ali's part in this. Oh, Ali? Ali's the best. I mean, uh, she left me to get married, but there you go. Uh, <laughs> 
No, but Ali, um, she's the she's the greatest, and uh, you know, Ali started with me. Um, you know, very conscientious, but you know, wouldn't been the best rider in the world at that particular time, and um, and um, she developed into a very very good rider, and um, been a big, great student of the the business, and. Uh, very conscientious. I couldn't have anybody better with me, you know. And she doesn't work for me now, but I call on her whenever I need her to come away somewhere. So we need to explain this, Ali. You, you have worked for Roger, as he was saying, and it was your, your first gallop job. But now you're running a, a whole, a very successful stable full of, of show horses in, in Florida. Um, why can you not leave this particular project? You keep coming back to Roger and Shell Spike like a boomerang. Oh, I think... I love what I do now, um, training horses. And actually, Roger said to me when I left and I was worried about leaving, a horse is a horse. Just train it how you want it to be. So that kind of helped me push through in this new endeavor. But my passion is definitely racing. And my first Gallup job at a university was for Roger, well, my first full-time position. And he never gave up on me, and I was terrible. I actually started for him with a broken wrist. I had cut my own cast off so I wouldn't lose the position. Um, and he put up with a lot. I had a lot to learn coming from the show world and learning to gallop down at Payson. And, yeah, he's number one in my books. So. You, you guys have obviously got a very kind of special friendship as well as, as, well as being great colleagues. Absolutely. We kind of live by each other now in South Florida, and I've been with him since that 2010-2011 season so we've been together most of my life now and fingers crossed this could have a, a another great chapter on, on Saturday, how do you feel about his chance? I love him in there I think I do think we've had some messy trips I think the trip will be everything we seem to always draw the inside I think he's one of the more fresh horses at this time of year in that race I love him. Uh, today was our first day galloping on the track, and he was a bear. So he feels great. The team at Woodbine has done a great job maintaining him and getting him fit to this point. So I'm really excited. All right. Well, if you want to get on the bear, you're going to get rewarded at a big price. Last year's runner-up, out of a Breeders' Cup mile winner. He's in the Breeders' Cup mile. He's drawn in one with Johnny Velasquez. Shell Spike, good luck to Ali and to Roger Atfield. And thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you very much. Appreciate it very much. Well, it's quite an important week in the history of Newmarket racecourses, and let's face it, it's a, a long and storied one. Uh, Michael Pross has been the clerk of the course and, and lately director of racing as well at the, at the track, or both tracks, Rodney Mile and July Racecourse, for, for over two decades, and he steps down on what is a normally quite a quiet weekend, the November weekend, with lots of competing attractions from here in California and jump racing and, and so on and so forth. But I get the feeling, as I welcome Michael to the show now, that it's not that low-key a farewell, Michael, because the weather's having a having a right laugh at your expense. It is has been an extraordinary October. Um, obviously, November the first today, but uh, it I actually in twenty three seasons can't remember a scenario whereby the clocks have changed. We've picked up two additional lovely additional races from Newbury. We've got a race division. And the first race is going to be 11. We've got nine races. I highly like to have nine races on Saturday as well. Um, well over 100 declarations across those nine races. A fantastic card. So um, this is a new one for me. Just shows that we're, 
we're always learning. Well, I was going to say that. I was thinking nine race card and massive effects of climate change. This is horse racing 2023 in a nutshell. I mean, how do you how do you feel as you as you approach your final weekend? It's been a it's been a long, long time in post. Uh, well, firstly, I'm totally focused on delivering Friday and Saturday, first and foremost. So uh, that's my, my absolute priority. And I haven't really, if I'm being honest, given too much thought to this being uh, my last two fixtures. Because, you know, I've had, I know I've had 23 fantastic seasons. Not quite 23 years. I started on February the 7th, 2001. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll have time to sort of uh, think about that a little bit more once we're through, once we're through this weekend. I'll maybe maybe prompt you a little bit. I know people always ask you for favourite Guineas memories, for example, when the Guineas comes around in the July Cup. Is there been a day or a, a meeting where you've you've driven home from Newmarket and thought, yeah, that that's why I do this job. That's why I wanted to do this. Many many occasions, many many occasions, because I love horse racing. Uh, absolutely passionate about horse racing. I still love watching a horse race as much now as I would have done. 22 years ago i'm very competitive so i love new markets racing to be uh successful uh, i'm always looking at pattern ratings what the horses do subsequent to a performance at new market i love the juvenile contests autumn year i loved i love trying to pick a horse out from the summer and then in the autumn and say as a classic uh, generation horse the following year that, that they're going to go on to success at the highest level and nothing has changed in 23 seasons favorite races yes i have certain races that stick in my memory as being very special the 1000 guineas in 2003 russian rhythms 1000 guineas I, I i i sort of hold in high esteem with a race like osa sharps 1000 guineas a sort of 1000 guineas that you see once every 30 years although i loved the rate this year's race not as deep, but with Tahira and Morge, I thought that was a, that was a vintage one thousand for those those two uh, wonderful fillers. Um, Oasis Dream beating Choisir in the July Cup. Uh, Frankel's performance, but it wasn't a great wasn't great depth to the Colts that year. Um, and 2014's 2000 Guineas, but there are and, and races that I love particularly. I love the Cesarewitch. I love seeing a maximum field come round that bend as they rise above that brow uh, uh, the 10 furlong point as one pack uh, that's very special uh, michael why why now and and what's what's the future going to hold so uh well 23 seasons is a long time um and i'm going to work for turf tracks which is a company that i've worked with before uh and they're based in Cambridge, as you know, they, they map the courses, the going stick, research and development. And um, I fancied, if I'm being honest, I just, I, I feel that I'm 57, 57 last week. And there's a, there's a fair bit of fuel left in the tank. And maybe the timing's right just to try something different at the latter stages of my career. Um, and I feel I can play a supportive role in other areas as well. I like the international piece. I've really enjoyed working in the Middle East. As you know, I've worked at Riyadh for the last four Saudi Cup fixtures. Um, and there's, there's a bit more work to be done out there as well. So that, that also fascinates me. So it's just, it's just a fresh challenge. And finally, I mean, is there any danger that this meeting isn't going to happen at the weekend? 
Well, you, you, you would be amazed if, uh, if you walked on the track this morning. We had another eight millimeters last night. And um, it took me our forecast some, uh, some significant rain tomorrow. But we're also forecast high winds that will negate some of that to some extent. Friday's forecast isn't too bad. It's uh, once the rain goes through overnight on Thursday into Friday, there isn't a huge amount of rain around on Friday itself. Saturday looks like it could be wet from 9 a.m. Uh, half an inch through the day. So I think the track will take it. Uh, I'm sure we'll end up being heavy, but uh, I'm pretty confident that racing will be fine. Michael, thanks so much and all the very best. Thank you very much indeed, Nick. Thanks a lot. Oh, well, that was M- Michael Prosser. I mean, end of an era, really, Lydia, isn't it? Very much so. Uh, 23 seasons, as he said, that he has been um, the director of racing and the clerk of the course at Newmark. And absolutely, it will it will bring uh, to the end uh, an era. And as you, you said, he's got a fairly challenging weather forecast via which to sign off. Uh, he has. It looks horrible at the moment in in most of Europe, to be honest, most of Northern Europe. And the, the UK is getting a complete battering. Down Royal is in danger at the weekend. Their big fixture of the year. Um, it's going to be very testing. Uh, Weatherby and at Newmarket. You were supposed to be at Nottingham on Wednesday. That's been abandoned. Worcester was abandoned on Wednesday as well. It's it's, it's grim for this time of year, isn't it? It really is. Foss Lass has already been abandoned on, on Friday as well. Huntingdon on Sunday is under threat of, of flooding. You mentioned Down Royal. They've obviously got the very important Grade 1 champion chase on Saturday. They've had 66 millimetres of rain since last Sunday. The course is unfit for racing at the moment. And they've got, in the worst case scenario, another 50 millimetres of rain due. Storm Kieran, um, the Britain mainland Britain, is uh, braced for that across uh, particularly the southwest and then moving into southern and southeast eastern areas where there's going to be bursts of heavy rain and coastal gusts that might even in some very exposed areas get up to 85 miles an hour 50 to 60 miles an hour inland there's been weather warnings across the country from wednesday to friday and in on thursday in the daytime and early evening between 20 and 25 millimeters of rain is due 40 to 60 millimeters rain on higher ground now it might skirt south of newmark and it's good to hear that Michael Prosser is relatively confident about racing, but it's currently soft, heavy in places for important ace race cards on Friday and on Saturday, where, as he said, he's got the two rescheduled meetings from Newbury, the Horace Hill and the St. Simon, very important group threes. But he's also got the Bosra Sham on, on Friday and the Montrose and the James Seymour, all of them important listed events spread over the two days. So fingers crossed that that does go ahead. It might be that Weatherby misses the worst of it and you, we will have to hope that that is the case because obviously we all want to see a very interesting edition of the charlie hall yeah that's right and, and brave man's game running has slightly slightly thrown a curveball at me I, I must confess i was expecting him not to run after i'd spoken to, to to paul nichols the other day he said it was 50 50 and the horses would school but um i i think the weather is 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 gnawing away at his mind as well and wondering if he waits whether he'll end up with a bog at haydock for the betfair chase and he may as well try and strike on fresh, at least freshish ground while the iron's hot. Well, that's certainly been uh, the case that he, a case that he's had to juggle with previously and the feeling that maybe running on very deep ground in the Betfair chase towards the end of November 
might compromise any bid for the King George because it, it can be quite a, a gruelling attritional race run at a, a sort of relentless kind of gallop. I, I personally think that Brainsland game is very suited to Weatherby. We saw that with his excellent win in the race last year in the in the Charlie Hall. Um and I think it I think it's a good call call personally to go to the Charlie Hall. But it's it it's interesting. You're kind of feeling that he's he's kind of being pushed into it by events. Yeah, I mean, I think I think in an ideal world, if it was completely dry at the moment, I think the the case to, for going straight to the Betfair Chase would be a more obvious one. If you've got a, a, a heavily unsettled forecast and it's looking like that for a long time and it's going to be a very wet autumn, you might think, well, at least you know this is ground that hasn't really been raced on, you know, one fixture only, and it's going to be quite fresh. And if the horse is really well, then maybe it's the right thing to do and then give him a nice break to the King George. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, th- I think that will be will be in his mind. Um, horses that he could potentially come up against include a horse senor who obviously didn't run very well at all in in Charlie Hall on seasonal debut uh, last season. Uh, he's far too free, made mistakes, and was pretty much uh, tailed off. And Dashiell Drasher, um, who was the uh, runner up, uh, demoted on the day, then reinstated by appeal in the Stayers Hurdle. Um, he's got an entry in that, but he's also entered in the West Yorkshire hurdle on the same day. The choice between the two, and that would be typical of Dashiell Dresher's itinerary these days. He ran mostly over hurdles last season, but he did also run over fences um, last season um, as well when second in the many clouds. So he would be a, another interesting player. One horse who isn't at the Breeders' Cup is Mage, the Kentucky Derby winner, drawn stumps for the season. But the good news is you've not seen the last of him. His owner and pod regular, Ramiro Restrepo, is with me now. Right, Ramiro, good to see you here. Shame he's not here, but you're going to crack on into next season. What's the plan? Oh, uh, totally. Um, our plans were never to retire him. We always wanted a, a fun 2024, um, not only for racing as a whole, but for ourselves. You know, the horse is sound. He just had a little minor 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 uh, fever and missed a little bit of feed and you just can't risk uh shipping all across the country and when you're not 100 percent taking on this caliber of horses but that's okay we'll miss you know a week or two and then we still have 12 weeks onto the pegasus and uh, that's a home game for you guys isn't it the pegasus is something you you will all really enjoy exactly i mean kicking off the season uh in your backyard a place where he broke his maiden and ran well in the florida derby and even the Fountain of Youth, so it's his home track. Kick off a nice uh, Group One to get the you know the year going, and then uh, Saudi and Dubai are on the agenda. So around the world, here we go. I mean, that could be some serious paydays for you and uh, you and your team. Is there one of those races that you think will particularly suit him? Just looking at the way they unfold, the distances of the various races, the surfaces, the demands. Well, I mean, the, the Pegasus selfishly is his is in his backyard, so that would be the first, and then. You know, so you'll have him properly revved for the for the Pegasus. Oh yeah, we have we have three we have three months to get him ready, and and we'll be we'll be ready for a peak effort. Uh, really try to have three consecutive strong races with him, and then give him all the time that he needs to recover, and then go on with it uh, for that second second part of the year. Good man, Ramiro. Thanks so much. Thank you, Big Nick. Well, obviously a packed international schedule through the next few months, and before too long, we'll be looking to to the Gulf, to Saudi Arabia and Bahrain and Dubai. A Saudi Cup, the world's richest horse race, $20 million. And extraordinarily, in the four years that it's been run, it's been, it's been won by a, a UK-trained horse in Mishrif, a US-based horse, a Middle Eastern horse, local horse, and, of course, last year, a, a Japanese horse. Um, Tom Ryan 
is the man who has um, put the, the racing side of the Saudi Cup together, really, since its inception, and uh, joins me now here at Santa Anita. Tom, just that alone must make you think you're doing something right. Yeah, I mean, it has a global spread. I mean, mindful we were here together four years ago, Nick, when this is all beginning. And you weren't really quite sure what to expect, were you? No. I mean, you put the races together, and uh, obviously, as you know, we started off with a, a core product, which was the racetrack. Very, very good. Belmont wouldn't sweep and turn uh, for that nine, nine furlongs so, or 1,800 metres. So we knew we had a track that everybody liked. The international riders at the time were, were, were happy to support it. But what has happened since, I suppose, you could never imagine that it would have a global relevance so quickly uh, right across the globe, the Northern Hemisphere, um, from each region. So year five now, it's coming quickly, and we're waiting to see who can step up to put their hands on that prize again. And in terms of the, the infrastructure, everyone has praised the track, particularly the, the main track, which they say is very fair and safe, and the turf track, which was dropped in amazingly and has, has lasted in incredibly well and, and seems to be sort of bedding in extremely well. In terms of your ambitions for the place as a whole and for the, for the nation as a whole, how could you sum that up in a, in a few sentences? I suppose we've looked at the structures that the IFJ and the Agent Pattern Committee have given us, and, I mean, we've airdropped six races you know for Saudi Cup weekend in they've done quite well Saudi Cup group one and the rest of them are you know group twos group threes but instantly now we have three local races that are in the international pattern and slowly but surely those better races are starting to come 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 and and, um, and that's presumably because of an increased much greatly increased horse population in Saudi Arabia yeah and I mean the, the real kind of prize at the end of the rainbow is an increasing cooperation with Dubai and Bahrain and, and Qatar which we're talking behind the scenes on what is possible for that region in that sort of November to March period to be a huge appeal to the horsemen of the world to come in and campaign over those couple of months and, you know, pick up some good pots. And uh, as far as the supporting card on Saudi Cup night goes, uh, the Neom turf got a massive boost from Mostadaf last year and that, that's presumably helped you get the race upgraded. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that was a little springer that came kind of on this, the back of this renewal. We know that the 1351 sprint on the turf... Um, is borderline group one you know space blues and all those other kind of real good horses that have come and that was only a, a bit of a, a novelty at the start we just literally put the stalls right back at the far corner of the track got mm-hmm. the maximum amount out of it and and that's a race is probably second to the saudi cup in terms of overall strength over four years so it's been a huge journey very very enjoyable i mean i see the value of it mm-hmm. in the supporting card you know the 20 million dollar race stands on its own but even if you look on the Friday with the Jockey's Challenge, we put seven men and seven women together over dirt and turf over a variety of distances. That's a spectacle in itself. So um, really enthusiastic into year five and hopefully the world will come see us again. Tom, thanks so much. Lovely. Thank you. If you are an avid fan, as I know many of you are, of Good Morning Bloodstock, uh, the daily Bloodstock newsletter from the Racing Post, penned by Martin Stevens, you'll know that Martin is feeling particularly pleased with his own work at the moment, and for good reason as well. And it pertains to a stallion that we know is a good stallion now. We perhaps didn't suspect he was going to be a brilliant stallion in the first instance and might be a very different stallion to the one that we thought of him of a couple of years ago. His name, Martin Stevens, is... Night of Thunder. And what is it about Night of Thunder, and particularly this season, that you got so spectacularly right? Well, you have to rewind to 2019 um, for the roots of um, what's happened this year. So that was when Night of Thunder's first two-year-olds hit the ground. And um, 
He's a hard one to explain, Knight of Thunder, because he was a classic winning son of Dubawi, Alistair Galilome, which is obviously tick, tick, tick. Um, <clears throat> and obviously he won that fantastic 2000 guineas, of course, which um one of the best of recent years from Kingman and Australia. But he just had this slight conformational fault. Um, he toes out a bit and... Um, that would have put an awful lot of commercial breeders off because they would have been worried that um, that would be reproduced in his offspring and they would be hard to sell. So anyway, there weren't gigantic hopes for him. He was obviously one of the leading size, but his um, first two-year-olds came out in 2019 and they just won at an extraordinary high strike rate, um, 58%, which is amazing. Um, the, 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 the ones who are in the news at the moment, uh, Blue Points and Too Darn Hot, they're operating at around 37 to 41% uh, this year. Um, and not only that, but uh, there was quality as well. Uh, he had seven individual stakes winners, which tied um, the record with Fasliev. Um, and that record is about 15 years old. And there's horses like Keep Busy, Molotham, Night Colours, and Under the Stars among them. Um, <clears throat> so that means, as ever in the bloodstock world, um, after that, uh, he gets a big upgrade in his book. Um, he was at Dallin Hall Stud for a few years. He went back to his original base of Kildangan Stud. And um, when he was there, obviously because this didn't go unnoticed, he was absolutely overwhelmed with um, bookings from breeders. And they sent him um, much better mares than he'd covered in his early years. And... Uh, the results of that year's um, meetings are this year's two-year-olds. So we had a good idea at the beginning of the year um, that he would have a good year of his two-year-olds. The only thing was, um, as often happens in cases like this, um, you would expect um, he would have covered more classically bred mares in that year when he had his upgrade. So you might not have expected him to have so many um, early two-year-olds as he did in that first year. And um, that sort of came to pass this year. He had, um, he actually did have um, a very good early one, whose name I can't remember. Um, but then he had um, Vespertilio and Ornelia. But then he's just absolutely um, blown up um, this month. He's had about 10 individual winners in the space of two weeks, including some very, very good ones. And I suppose that is the, that's the crux of this, isn't it? He, he has become what his pedigree suggests he ought to be which is a late two-year-old classic type stallion yet he's founded that on the basis of being uh, a horse who made a, an instant impact at stud you know we didn't see much of, of Fasliev's stud career beyond then did we we didn't see much of Bertolini's stud career beyond his explosive start no um yeah you picked on two infamous examples there of horses who didn't build on their first uh, very exciting first season with two-year-old runners but um that's definitely not the case with knight of thunder of course the funny thing with knight of thunder was i always think that he he uh, accumulated all those fantastic statistics in his first season and the very best horse in that first crop hadn't even run it to and that was of course uh highfield princess and um she's an interesting one because now, going away from stats, this is completely subjective, but I just notice whenever I watch Night of Thunders and I sort of look at them separately when they're racing, they seem to have just so much class and courage. And, of course, Highfield Princess really encapsulates that. But um, going back to the pedigree, as you said there, that's really to be expected of um, Night of Thunder because he's by Dubawi, and Dubawi stock are well-known for trying and trying and being willing partners. And, of course, um, he's out of uh, Galileo Mare, and Galileo was um, famous for 
um, his stock being um, very clear-minded and tries as well. So it's not completely surprising that it's worked out this way. Indeed not. Here's, here's a question for you. Does the industry put him in the, the elite size bracket? He's up there getting towards an elite size price. What's the what's the perception of him right now at this minute? I mean, Richard Brown, for example, a very good judge, was on this show earlier in the year, singing him from the rooftops, and so I'll, I'll get my hands on every single one that I can, and I'll carry on doing it. But is that is that widely shared? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's he's at hundred thousand euros this year, um, so yeah, he is uh, definitely well up there. Uh, the only thing is, obviously, he's been there. He's he's had runs now for five seasons. He's 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 got. Only two Group 1 winners, which I always find quite strange because otherwise the statistics are so good and those horses do try so hard. So I think that might be slightly anomalous and I think it will definitely improve. But he's definitely up there. The only thing is um, he's now got um, other horses and actually specifically other sons of Dubawi coming up behind him are also doing the same, um, producing very good stats. Horses like Zarak and New Bay and now Tudan Hot, of course. Well, Marta, I'm, I congratulate you again on, on getting it all pretty much spot on uh, with this horse from a long way out. And we'll be monitoring next season very carefully to see whether he can graduate with, with Group 1 success to match his statistical excellence so far. Martin Stevens, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, and the thing about Knight's Thunder is he produces such good statistics, he's such a good sire, it must be quite hard to breed a non-winner by him, Nick. <laughs> it's extremely hard. Some of us have moved heaven and earth to achieve this feat. But you managed it, so congratulations to you too. <laughs> okay, thanks to all my guests today. Uh, Lydia Hislop still with me, and I know uh, this Breeders' Cup weekend is always a, a weekend that you will be taking a very careful interest in. Is, is there anything tickling your fancy bet-wise? Well, I'm always uh, interested in the Breeders' Cup turf. It's my favourite race of the evening, always is. And I'm going to have to do that very difficult thing of managing to get home and get through most of the evening without finding out any kind of results. So I'm going to have to stay away from all social media, from my mobile phone, from everything, because me and my other half will both want to watch the evening as live, which we were doing when we've both got home from work that evening. But so, you know, really looking forward to it. It, really always enjoy it and I'm intrigued by how the Breeders' Cup turf is going to play out particularly as um, Aidan O'Brien is triple-handed isn't he triple-handed in the race so I think he's going to need all of a Frankie de Tori's intrigue to manage to get King of Steel up I think he's a, a big price comparatively I can see Mr Duff having missed British Champions Day will be fresh I think he'll be suited by conditions I think he'll be a massive danger but I think King of Steel is coming on at the right time and so I'm going to be like side with him excellent lydia thank you very much thank you very much for listening that was thursday november the 2nd uh, one more episode this week and then it is breeders cup weekend we will see you tomorrow bye bye you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the racehorse owners association and thoroughbred racing commentary